Welcome to Murder in the Air Mystery Theater. I'm your host, Lori Fagan. This is the final episode number 31 in season two of this podcast series, where I've been talking to authors who then read their mystery, suspense, or thriller short stories, or a chapter from their published books. You've also heard the radio theater-style sections from the audiobooks for my third crime fiction novel, Bleeder, called Art of the Steel, in my Behind the Mic mystery series. I will wrap up this season with a short story called Death by Deception from the So West Crime Time Anthology by Sisters in Crime, Desert Sleuths Chapter. Death by Deception by Lori Fagan I'm having a drink with the nice Mitchell employees out behind the hotel under the stars just minding my own business when gunshots ring out. A tall cowboy in old leather chaps, a long black duster, and a dark ten-gallon hat burst in through the bushes, waving and firing twin Colt single-action army revolvers a wild look in his beady eyes. All right, you lily-livered city slickers. I'm L.W. Sweet, and don't any of you move. I'm a bounty hunter, see, and I need to know which one of you is this varmint. The cowboy pulled out a wanted poster of Charles Mitchell, owner of a local business in the sleepy, small southwestern town of Deception, Arizona. The couple dozen good folks murmur amongst themselves as they recognize Mr. Mitchell, who buys and sells gold and other minerals at his local assay office. As the law around these parts, I'd had enough of this pesky cowboy, so I step up behind him. Now hold it right there, L.W. L.W. froze. I already told you once today to get out of town. Now just what in tarnation do you think you're doing? Old L.W. turns around real slow. Sweat is streaming down his face, and he looks near crazy. Well, Mr. Sheriff, I'm just out for what's due me. I hear there's $500 on this here varmint's head, and that he's here somewhere. I'm going to collect. He turns back to the people sitting at small tables, staring at him, and looks for Mitchell in the courtyard. I glance at the poster. This guy? Only thing he's wanted for is being a gall-durned good businessman. Runs a metal-testing outfit called Mitchell Assay, I believe and he loves to take his employees to fancy places out west and have big parties. Well, L.W. really perked up his ears at that. Oh, yeah? Well, what kind of metals is he into? I hear tell it's gold, even diamonds, that kind of stuff. Well, I know a few things about jewels. Hold it right there. I'm tired of repeating myself. I want you gone. Now, I realize all the nice people are watching us pretty close, like so, I calm myself down. L.W., I'm going to be sociable and let you have a drink at the saloon before you leave. But only one drink, and then I want you to make yourself as scarce as whiskers on a baby. I better not see you again. Oh, yeah? He waves those dang guns around. Or what? This here badge means I can do anything I damn well please. 
Besides, I heard there might be a bounty on your head, so don't cross me. That old cowboy knows I'm right because he gets real nice. Anything you say, Sheriff, one drink and I'm gone. L.W. scoots right out. I squint at the hotel's rumors whose eyes are as big as full harvest moons. Sorry about that, folks. Don't pay him no mind. Just be at the Silver Bullet Saloon right at 7, because we got a big surprise for you. Them folks settle down and go back to drinking. I head to the office to see my deputy for checking in on the arrangements for this big whoop-to-do at the saloon. Bits of nervous laughter scattered across the outdoor patio, and pretty soon all the employees of Mitchell Fine Jewelry were chatting excitedly about the scene that had just unfolded in front of them over cocktails in the lush courtyard at the swanky Arizona Biltmore Hotel in Phoenix. Hey, Mr. Mitchell! Tom, the head of sales and marketing, yelled from across the open area. That was a good photo of you on that wanted poster. Charles Mitchell, a rotund man in his 60s, smiled and waved as if to say, oh, go on. Those around him laughed and helped themselves to appetizers offered by a waiter. Is this one of those interactive murder mystery plays? Asked Denise from accounting. I've never seen one. That's what Stephanie in public relations must have meant when she said to pay attention to clues tonight replied Renee, a tall blonde sitting next to her. Don't know about you, but I'd like more clues about that handsome sheriff. Her friends laughed. Denise said, hey, it's almost seven. Let's head to the saloon for that surprise. The group went inside the hotel, down a carpeted hallway to the Frank Lloyd Wright ballroom. A woman in a long, old-fashioned dress with a cinched-up waist and fancy hat passed out flyers at the door. Welcome to the Silver Bullet Saloon. Have a lovely dinner. It was as if Denise, Renee, and the others stepped back in time. Above a long wooden bar right out of an Old West movie was a sign that said Silver Bullet Saloon. Behind the bar, a man dressed in a white shirt with black elbow garters served drinks. Off to one side at a round table, several men in garb from the 1800s played cards. A buxom woman wearing a satin knee-length blue dress with lace around the edges and a plunging neckline flirted with the men. Large round dinner tables covered with white linens filled the ballroom. A spotlight illuminated the character known as L.W. at the end of the bar. He was slumped over as if passed out. When I get back to the Silver Bullet Saloon, all hell's broken loose. Sheriff, come quick! The barkeep, Billy Bob, who is also the town's apothecary, catches me just as I push through the double swinging doors, my spurs jangling. What the... There was that no-good L.W. suite half on a stool, half laying flat across the bar. His hat is upside down on a scarred wooden top, his hair slick with sweat. The fingers on his right hand clutch an empty shot glass. Cloth wraps the other hand and blood is seeping through the makeshift bandage. I walk over to him and inspect the dressing. When I unwrap it, there are small red puncture wounds on his swollen skin. 
A leather bag hangs out from his left pants pocket. I give him a poke, then another. But he was deader than a stone. Ah, hell, Billy Bob, what happened? Billy Bob looks plenty nervous. Well, this cowboy came in about an hour ago and ordered a drink, saying it was on you. He seemed to be dry as a bone and awful hot. He just kept ordering shot after shot. The more he drank, the meaner he got. Soon he was looking sleepy, like he was going to pass out. Kept saying he was seeing yeller. Then what? Thought it might help him if I offered him some of my special elixir. He gulped it right down. Billy Bob pointed to a row of apothecary jars on a shelf next to the whiskey bottles. He kept demanding more whiskey, tried to bribe me with his so-called jewels. Jewels? Well, I think that's what he might have kept in that leather bag. I pulled the pouch out of L.W.'s pocket, but it's empty as a hollow tree. What happened next? He had it to do with Miss Sally. Afterwards, he got in a fight with old Farmer Johnson over a card game. Later, I went out back to stock up for the big party, and when I returned, there he was, out cold. I thought he was just sleeping it off. I tried to wake him, but I could tell he was dead. So what's in that elixir? Nothing but tonic and quinine and castor oil. It's good for anything that ails you. And that's all you gave him? Why, of course, he says indignantly. Tom strode to Denise and Renee's table, carrying martinis to them. He looked serious. I think the butler did it, he said in mock horror. Oh, come on, play along, Renee grinned. I think the bartender drugged him. Denise laughed. You can't know that yet. I'll bet there are many other suspects. Including that good-looking cougar in the shiny dress, Tom pointed. As a waiter served the main course, the co-workers shared a laugh and watched the saloon gal saunter over to the sheriff. I'm just trying to figure out what I should do first about this dead cowboy when next thing I know, someone's soft, sweet-smelling arms are sneaking around my neck. Howdy, sheriff. The saloon girl purred in her sexiest voice. I love it when you come to see me. Long, dark hair curls down to this gal's ample breasts, barely covered by a dangerously low-cut dress. Nestled in her hair is a long black feather that tickles my ear, and her lips are painted bright red. Now, Miss Sally, I'm here to investigate this death. I remove her hands. You know anything about it? Me? Miss Sally said with fake surprise. How would I? I hear you had a little row with L.W. Is that his name? Well, I'd never seen him before he come in here this afternoon, boasting about being a bounty hunter, talking about all the wanted men he's captured. Then he said something about getting a job with that Mitchell company. He pulled out these big diamonds and rubies and emeralds. Sally's eyes get big. Why, I'd never seen nothing like him. We had a few drinks. He seemed nice at first, except he was so drunk he could hardly walk. No wonder he was sick to his stomach. 
Then would you two do? Well, now, Sheriff, he said he'd been on the road for a long spell, so, you know, he and I went up to my room. She fluffs her hair. But we didn't do nothing. No siree, we weren't in the room a second when he's practically jumping on me. And you know, Sheriff, how I like to get to know a man first. She strokes the side of my face. Well, he wouldn't quit, so I kicked him out. Is that all? I did use a little physical means of persuasion. Oh, like what? I smacked him upside the head with a spittoon that was sitting inside my door. She shows how she grabbed the metal bowl and whacked the air. Hell, he'd had so much to drink, I doubt he felt it. I wiggled the man's bag in front of her. This leather pouch with the jewels you was talking about is empty. Do you know what happened to him? Miss Sally's hands flutter around her face. How would I know? He probably lost him in a card game to Farmer Johnson over there. He's been winning all night. She points toward a round table covered with shot glasses, whiskey bottles, and playing cards. Five men are looking down at their hands, not moving an inch. Farmer Johnson? My eyes land on Jeremiah Joseph Johnson, a crusty old feller who owns a couple hundred acres and tries his best to grow crops despite the drought we're in. I'm right here, Sheriff. He stands up slowly, wrapping his thumbs around the straps of his dirty blue coveralls. When he comes to town, he's a regular at the Silver Bullet, spending most of his time in a poker game. He has no woman at home and enjoys visiting with the folks at the saloon while putting back his share of whiskey. Would you tell me what you saw this afternoon? Farmer Johnson gives a longing look towards Miss Sally, then turns to me. He looks a little jealous. Well, that cowboy was carrying on with Miss Sally, and pretty soon they went upstairs. But a few minutes later, there's a ruckus, and he came down from her room. So then what happened? Johnson strokes his stubbly chin. I'm just sitting here playing cards when he comes stumbling down the stairs. He was a mess after hitting the whiskey hard at the bar. He come over and asked to play cards, so I said sure, but pretty soon his cash is getting low. Farmer Johnson gets a downright smug look on his face and runs his fingers over his four-day beard. He wasn't a good player, lost all his money. So he pulls out this old pouch and tried to ante up with a bunch of colored rocks. Hell, I didn't know if they was real, but I figured one hand wouldn't hurt. Next thing I know, he's pulling an ace right out of his sleeve. Wasn't even slick about it. Hell, he was too drunk. Well, that got my goat, and, well, maybe I said some things I shouldn't have. Like what? Farmer Johnson removes his hat and rolls it around in his hands. I guess I said something about if he cheated me again, I'd I'd have to do something about it. Something meaning 
Well, dang what anybody else would have done if they'd have been cheated. I told him I'd kill him, but I didn't, honest. I swear I didn't. He blinks a couple of times and looks at me real serious-like. All right then, Jeremiah. You might need to spend the night in town till we get this all sorted out. I will, Sheriff. He glances at Miss Sally. She smiles in return. Mr. Mitchell and his wife Eleanor were finishing dessert at their dinner table with six other Mitchell employees, each holding a pencil, studying their flyer with a crossword puzzle on it. Sally, Mr. Mitchell's secretary, focused on her puzzle. Oh, I know number two, she shouted. What is the nickname for the hotel where Death by Deception and the Mitchell event is being held? It's Jewel of the Desert. They all wrote the answer onto their papers. Mike, an intern with the company, said, I should know number four. The film Blonde Bombshell was shot in the Arizona Biltmore Stables in 1933. Who was the famous actress who starred in it? Jean Harlow, Mr. Mitchell said, and she was quite a bombshell. He smiled shyly at his wife, who nudged him in jest. Anybody know the answer to number 13? Eleanor asked, reading out loud. The Arizona Biltmore was originally owned by the Wrigley family. What were they famous for? That's easy, Doris from HR said. Chewing gum. The group laughed in agreement. This is fun, piped up Sharon, the receptionist. Whose idea was this anyway? Oh, you know those PR people. They always come up with something different for these weekend conferences. A woman's heels tapped briskly on the floor, followed by a stern female voice calling out, Oh, Sheriff! Mike whispered, Listen up, I think something else is happening. The group looked up to the actors. Sheriff Ritchie! I turned around to see one of the local townswomen bustling in, very prim and proper-like. Teresa Robinson is wearing her best go-to-meeting dress and clutching a purse. I just heard the news, she says, looking at the slumped-over cowboy. Oh, my goodness, is he? Yes, ma'am, he's dead. Did you know him? Not really. I was coming out of the mercantile when he rode into town. Later, I observed the run-in he had with you when you told him to leave. Did he say anything to you? Teresa turns a bright shade of red and lowers her eyes. He said some mighty unspeakable things, she whispers. I wouldn't dare repeat them. She pulls out a handkerchief from her pocketbook and dabs at her brow. After all, I am a proper church-going woman, she says a little louder than necessary. And did you do anything about it? I was so mad I gave him a good whack in the face with my handbag and walked away. She straightens her spine. And what does your husband, Hezekiah, do? You know full well he catches rattlers and sells them for their venom in their skins. And I reckon you know how to handle snakes, too? Me? Heavens no. Every once in a while I have to catch one that's gotten loose in the house, but otherwise I don't have anything to do with them. So you would know how to avoid being bit by one? Well, 
now, doesn't everybody know that around these parts? I turned to the good folks from Mitchell. Now listen up, everyone, I hollered, trying to get him to settle down. We got to figure out who killed this cowboy. Well, Sheriff, Miss Sally says smugly, you heard Farmer Johnson admit he was going to kill him for cheating. But I did no such thing. Farmer Johnson explodes from his chair. I wouldn't be surprised if Billy Bob didn't slip him something more powerful than that so-called elixir and poison him to shut him up. The bartender is aghast. No, sir, I would never use my apothecary skills for evil purposes. However, I think Miss Sally stole those jewels when he was in her room, then hit him so hard it cracked his skull, doing him in. Sheriff, said the townswoman, you knew he had a bounty on his head. Would you murder him for that money all in the name of the law? The thought did cross my mind, Miss Robinson. I've had to kill a few men in my time, and I did want him out of town. But maybe you did, too. She blinks her eyes and gulps. Okay, folks, who knows how this cowboy died? An older man in a three-piece suit raises his hand. I think I do. Well, then tell us. The man reads from his crossword puzzle. While several people wanted to kill him, none of them did. Something else caused him to be extremely thirsty, to sweat profusely, suffer nausea, and have a sensation of yellowish vision. He thought alcohol would be the cure for what produced the small red spots and bleeding on his hand. It was a rattlesnake bite, and he died from the venom. There's a moment of silence, then the group erupts in cheers and applause, and a couple of people slap the man on the back in congratulations. Give that man a prize. A sharp-looking woman in a fitted dress hands the winner a large basket filled with all kinds of wine and cheese. That concludes our murder mystery play, Death by Deception. Please give a round of applause to our actors who played Billy Bob... Miss Sally, Farmer Johnson, and Teresa Robinson. The crowd claps enthusiastically. And give it up for L.W. Sweet. People jump to their feet in a standing ovation. But L.W. doesn't move. L.W. Sweet, I said again. But still the cowboy didn't budge. He's just tan in character, folks. I hurry to the bar and give L.W.'s shoulder a shake. He feels rigid and cold to the touch. My hands shake as I ask, Is there a doctor in the house? There's nervous laughter in the room until the audience realizes this is not part of the play. I'm a nurse practitioner, says a woman who runs toward the bar. She places her first two fingers on L.W.'s neck then looks up at me. There's no pulse. He's dead. There are murmurs in the audience. Someone call the police, I say, trying not to sound too tore up. It was midnight before Phoenix police officers let the Mitchell employees go back to their hotel rooms. Detectives kept the four other actors and me in the ballroom 
and our shaken producer, Lisa, who had been in the audience, joined us. Maybe it was just natural causes, she whispered. You suppose Lenny had a heart condition or something? The Maricopa County medical examiner wrapped up his inspection of the body and conferred with a weary detective, Al Whitney, who jotted something on his small notepad. He joined us where we sat, still in our costumes. The medical examiner estimated the time of death of Lenny Olson between 7 and 9 this evening, Whitney said. Who was the last one to see him alive? Bob Taylor, the actor who played Billy Bob, spoke first. I saw him just a few minutes before 7. He finished drinking a bottle of water and got into place, but he did mention about being extra tired and having a stomachache. I just figured he picked up a flu bug. The detective took notes. Anybody know what might have made him sick? Probably from too many donuts while we were rehearsing. Teresa, who played the townswoman, grumbled. Who brought the food for the actors? Whitney asked. I did, Lisa squeaked, but they're all commercially prepared items. Someone could have slipped something into that water, I suppose, the detective said. He paused and referred to his notes. The M.E. says the purported snake bite was just special effects makeup, and he won't be able to check Mr. Olson's stomach contents until he gets him back to the lab. But he noted a rather large contusion on the victim's head. He turned toward Sally. Sally Rogers, did you actually hit the victim with that spittoon? Oh, of course not, Sally huffed. That's just part of the story. An officer approached, carrying a large brass vessel. Detective, this might be the weapon in question. His fingers pointed out a deep depression in the metal. M.E. says the indentation right here was similar to that of the Vic's head wound. The officer also handed him a small, clear plastic sack that the detective examined. No, that's an old prop. Of course it has lots of dents in it, Sally exclaimed. I understand you didn't like the guy who played L.W. very much. Another actor said Lenny was always coming on to you and other women in the production. Is that right, Sally? Sally turned a deep shade of red. He wouldn't keep his hands to himself, she said through clenched teeth. I had to pull him off a young production assistant he was groping during rehearsal last week. Another police officer brought a nearly empty water bottle to Detective Whitney, whispering something in his ear and pointing to the bottle. He also had a paper test strip he showed the detective. Good work, Edwards. The detective flipped a few pages in his pad. Teresa Thomas, you say you work in a doctor's office. Part-time, Teresa answered. So you would have access to syringes. I'm just a receptionist. I don't give shots or anything. That's not what I asked, Whitney said. Did this actor, Lenny, also make unwelcome advances toward you? He does that to every female he meets. Are you the same Teresa Thomas who filed sexual assault charges against Mr. Olson three months ago? I didn't want him preying on other women, 
The detective nodded. All right, gentlemen, you are free to go. You too, Ms. Powers. But don't leave town, you understand? Tom, Bob, and Lisa hurried out, but I turned back when I heard, Ladies, you are coming downtown with me. Sally shot a glance at Teresa. What? Why? Sally sputtered. Miss Thomas, we found a tiny hole in this water bottle. I believe you injected a poisonous solution into Olson's water. He waved the small plastic bag. And Ms. Rogers, we also found a couple of hairs, most likely from the Vic's head on that spittoon. Detective Whitney pulled a pair of handcuffs from his waistband and nodded to an officer to do the same. Hey, sexual harassment is serious, Whitney said, but you should have just got him prosecuted, not killed him. Sally Rogers and Teresa Thomas, you are under arrest for the murder of Lenny Olson. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say may be used in a court of law. The End That was my short story called Death by Deception that was adapted from a corporate murder mystery play I wrote and performed with other actors at the Arizona Biltmore. It was published in the So West Crime Time anthology by Sisters in Crime, Desert Sleuths Chapter. It's available on Amazon, and you can go to my Amazon author page to find it. Click on the link below. Thank you so much for listening to Murder in the Air Mystery Theater Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the author interviews and readings, as well as the audiobook portions from Bleeder. Many thanks to my very talented son, Devin Hancock, for original music and for editing, mixing, and mastering these episodes. Thanks also to my oldest brother, Lauren Fagan, for his original music for the audiobook portions. If you're listening on the podcast platform of your choice, please subscribe and leave a review or provide us with feedback. If you're on YouTube at Read Lori Fagan, please subscribe, give us a thumbs up, and click on the bell to be notified when a new episode has been released. And for some freebies, check out our Patreon page at Murder in the Air Mystery Theater. For more information, you can visit ReadLaurieFagan.com. Thanks so much for listening. This concludes the Murder in the Air Mystery Theater podcast, for now anyway. Who knows, someday we might find more Murder in the Air. <laughs>